Hello, everyone, and welcome to Heads Up, the weekly webcast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation. I'm Dr. Lindsay Weitzel, migraine strategist, founder of the Facebook group Migraine Nation and chronic daily migraine survivor. I am super excited to tell you that I am here today with Dr. Merle Diamond. Dr. Diamond is a headache specialist. She is the Associate Director of the Diamond Headache Clinic in Chicago, and she is also a board member of the National Headache Foundation. Hi, Dr. Diamond. How are you today? Hi, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us. So we, are, we have Dr. Diamond on today because there has been a position statement released by the National Headache Foundation that I feel and everyone seems to feel is very important. We want everyone to understand what it is, why it's out there, and what it says. And Dr. Diamond is the perfect person to explain it to us. So to begin the conversation, there are three key messages within the statement, and they are as follows. It says, I'm going to read it to you word for word. It says that our position is that the selection of a migraine therapy should ultimately be determined by the clinician in collaboration with the patient based on the individual needs of that patient and that patient's outcomes. It should not be determined solely by a step care model, and we're going to get into what a step care model is, and it should not be determined by a one-size-fits-all algorithm, including models focused predominantly on costs instead of outcomes. So the statement goes on to discuss these views in more detail with medical references, et cetera, but let's start Dr. Diamond, can you just tell us why the National Headache Foundation felt the need to release this statement at this time? Well, I I think um, all of us who are clinicians, people who treat patients, Mm -hmm. um, have found increasing barriers to access to newer medications for migraine. Mm -hmm. And while cost is always an important factor, disability and function are critical for our patients, right? right? And, that, and that has to be in the forefront. Um, the position statement begins by stating that care models for migraine must reflect scientific and clinical advances. So the foundation is referring to these new medications, which you're talking about, and they have been made available for migraine. And they've made this position statement particularly timely. Can you go over which advances are being referred to specifically here? Right. So, you know, in the past 10 years, we have come a long way, baby, in terms of (laughs) what we know about migraine. Like the pathophysiology is much better understood. And because of that, we can find and develop targeted therapies that because I believe, I believe because they're targeted, they have better outcomes. Mm-hmm. Patients do well with them. Right. And um, not so many side effects. Like right. a patient shouldn't have to decide, I'm going to take my medicine and it's going to put me out for the day. Right. But my headache will get better. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so... And we also know with prevention, only 12% of patients stay on a preventative drug at a year. I mean, those are horrible statistics Mm -hmm. uh, with our old medications. Right. So it's terribly important for the science to lead the treatment. 
Mm-hmm. It's not like we're just shooting in the breeze. We know what we're after today. Right. And thank God we had our old therapies. Mm-hmm. They're not all going in the garbage. Some of them right. are quite useful. Right. But if you only have a 12% success rate in mm-hmm. terms of patients being compliant mm-hmm. and being willing to stay on a medicine, the report card's not very good. Right. And we shouldn't. And this is the thing I think we focused on at NHF. We're a patient-oriented organization. We are here for patients. We're not here to make insurance companies happy. We're not here um, to be popular with uh, the pharmacy benefit managers of insurance companies. We're here to protect our patients and to get them the best therapies. Right. And I think uh, most of the people that watch Heads Up, uh, because we do so many episodes on the new therapies, are aware that mostly what we're talking about are monoclonal antibodies and G-pants and these newer uh, medications that have come out that are specifically for migraine, um, as opposed to being for another disease and then being, oh, off-label used for migraine. Um, Right. So, yeah, and sorry, but like, especially with prevention, right? Every there are only actually four drugs available today for the prevention of migraine that are are old guys, and that's propranolol, um, another beta blocker, timolol, which you can't even find and get, right? uh, Except for an eye drop, um, divalprox, so depakote, and pyramate, and then you have Botox for chronic migraine, but the Mm -hmm. reality is that the these insurers at the direction of a consensus guideline mm-hmm. um, have put all these other drugs on that list that don't even have FDA approval. Right. And the only common denominator is that they're cheap. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's great. Cost effectiveness is important, but not at not at the risk of disability. Exactly. So let's talk about step care, which was mentioned when I read uh, I read the the three uh, most important parts of this of of this statement. Um, so the step care model, also known as try to and fail, uh, what is this, and why does the National Headache Foundation believe it may not be uh, the best in the best interests of migraine patients? Right. So that's a really important thing. And we've known this about acute medicines for years and Mm -hmm. believe it to be true for prevention. And that is that um, when you try to and fail, Mm -hmm. that means you have uh, created a situation where patients have more days of migraine. Right. Right. They have less recovery time. Right. And we know the that the more frequently you have migraine, the more likely you are to become chronic. Exactly. And so we're wasting this time, uh, uh, you know, trying these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a great paper that Dr. Richard Lipton did some years ago with Roger Cady looking at strep care versus stratified care, which mm-hmm. is to differentiate from step care, stratified care, pick your best drug. Right. Get the thing that gets you to zero if you're using an acute medicine as quickly as possible mm-hmm. and find a preventative that will get you better predictably. Right. And that bar was set pretty low. It's 50% of the time in prevention, mm-hmm. but we know some of our newer medicines do way better than that. Right. 
Right. Um, so what is the, I was going to ask you, what is the alternative to step care that the NHF endorses? And I think you started to talk about this with stratified care. Right. So stratified care is where, again, you pick, um, your best drug first in the study that Dr. Lipton and Dr. Katie did along with a lot of other people, uh, we were looking at triptans versus oral analgesics versus, and uh, what we found was in doing that, patients did much more poorly. And so why are we going back to the dark ages, again, recommending patients to fail, fail? Pa- again, patients don't fail, medicine right. fails. medicine fails. Medicine fails twice. You, you know, when I see a patient in my office, what I'll liken it to is, um, when somebody finally makes an appointment to talk about their migraines and the right. level of disability they have with them, right? something has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've missed a birthday party of a kid. Right. They're about to get fired at work. Right. Uh, their family's starting to like just make plans without them because oh, they're never yeah. available. Um, yeah. You know, all of these things that take such an emotional toll on my patients. Right. Um, and... <sighs> by the time they come to see you, they don't have that window of, oh, let's see how the next six months go while we try all these things that sometimes work, but have some side effects. And um, yeah, I just, I just don't understand the need. I I think the problem is the insurers don't look at the whole picture of migraine, which is disability, uh, lost time. Right. And And I think cost is right. And I think it's not well understood that we get worse every time we're left in pain. That is, that means that we might get worse. We might chronify. Right. Uh, That means more days in the future that we're going to have migraine, not just today. And I think that that's a really bad thing. That's something we need to avoid. Right. And, and while I can look at a patient and look at their migraine frequency and the length of their headaches and um, you know, all these different pieces that, lead to chronification. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to get there. It's hard right. to fix. Right. It's hard to fix. All right. So in this statement, the National Headache Foundation moves on to give very specific guidelines for clinicians when it comes to providing preventive care for patients experiencing eight or more migraines in a month or migraine days in a month, excuse me, versus four to seven migraine days. So let's start by talking about the guideline for clinicians treating patients who are experiencing eight or more migraine days in a month. What do they say there? Well, I think uh, they're, again, best choice first, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That those patients in conjunction with their clinicians should be able to get the best therapy for them, not have to jump through hoops to get it. Right. And I, I think they also put a very great emphasis on patient and clinician being able to work together. Right. Uh, for what's best for the patient, because it migraine is not a one size fits all disorder. It's, right. it's very diverse. Uh, right. So I, I like that they, they make that point over and over again. And then right. what about for um, patients experiencing four to seven migraine days a month? What's what I'll say story? is we had a lot of people online about this. Like, so. Oh, okay. There was, there were a lot of strong feelings. Um, okay. So some of us felt 
eight was to, you know, that we should actually move it to six. Oh, okay. Um, some of us felt that eight was just fine. And so there's, what we'll say, I'll say is we're all human beings, right? Right. And so I think again, with four to seven, four to seven can look in a, I'll put this as I see it, four to seven days, if you're completely disabled, I'd put you in that eight or more category. Right. Four to seven, your abortives work great and you have very low disability. Mm-hmm. Then maybe not so so necessary. Right. Um, and, and again, I think the common denominator at the bottom of all of this is disability. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm going to give my patients two of our old preventatives and they're going to make them tired uh, 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 forgetful, right. You know, whatever, pick your side effect profile, lightheaded. Um, and that's going to affect their disability. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like, you know, we should be able to jump to our best possible option. And right. I think it's really important. Um, I sometimes equate this to, um, only giving, and, and it's not the same, obviously migraine is not the same as diabetes, but, um, I often equate this to like, I don't wait for a diabetic to become, you know, go into ketoacidosis. <laughs> exactly. I like give them insulin, right? <laughs> exactly. And, That's a very good point. Right. Uh, I'm right. not waiting for you to get bad. I, I, you know, because I'm in a specialty office, I see a ton of chronic migraine and, um, it, it's so much easier when it's not, you know, and, and not just for me to feel good that everybody's getting better, but like that my patients have a better outcome. Right. Which is, which is why I I'm here and that's why I do what I do. And yeah, it's, right. it's, it's just very frustrating. So when it comes to the line drawn in this um, statement with the four to seven days per month, right. did the NHF go ahead and say um, with, with the patients who have fewer migraine days per month, it's okay to try one of the therapies that's not newer and see if that works for them. And if it doesn't, then move on to, to one of the newer therapies. Correct. And the other caveat is if you have a contraindication, so good example, I have a 25 year old woman in my office who runs a blood pressure of 90 over 60, right. Who works in finance, who, um, uh, uh, and, and who doesn't have any comorbid psychiatric conditions, right? Mm -hmm. She's not going to tolerate a blood pressure medicine. Nope. She's not going to tolerate a medicine that affects her cognitive functioning. Right. right? And she may not be comfortable taking an antidepressant. Right. 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 Because of the side effect profile. Right. So she may need to jump to one of the newer medicines right right away. And we may just need to document those three things and that should be enough. Mm -hmm. That should be enough. And I, I, one of the things I'm really happy about is that we had participation from patient advocacy groups and, you know, this isn't just about our frustration and, and access. It's important for patients to feel confident that they're getting the best therapy they can. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, that is very important. As someone who's had migraine for forty-five years, it it can be a fight. I've I've right. had it's 
I've had to fight for the right medicine for me. So it can be very difficult. So I'm really, this statement is very important. Um, The statement further defines what it means when a patient is considered to have been tried and failed by a medication. And I think this is important because um, I I have been one of those people back when I was younger who sat in the room and I've had a doctor be like, are you sure that it didn't help even just a little, uh, come on. And then you sit there and you're like, I don't know, maybe there was a Monday. I felt a little better for once in my life, you know? And, and so I love that they actually define this. Um, so, so what is it that they, they say needs to be the patient was tried and failed by a medication? Well, that it should be enough that, that the patient took it and didn't tolerate it. Right. Some of the prior consensus statements suggest that a patient needs to be on something for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to give up a couple of months of your life anymore to mm-hmm. like try a medicine that we have that's not even approved by the FDA to be right. used in migraine? I don't. I, I gave don't up 30 years of my life. I'm not giving right. up any more time. <laughs> right. And it would be different. And I'm just going to use this drug as an example. And I use a lot of this drug in my practice. I'm going to use candesartan as an example. It's a blood pressure medicine. Mm -hmm. We're not really sure how it works because it works on the kidney, Mm -hmm. but it does help some migraine patients. And we certainly utilize it and I've had success with it. It is not approved by the FDA for the treatment of migraine. It has two small studies showing its efficacy. Mm -hmm. It's been labeled as having category B, which in in our language means being effective, but not approved mm-hmm. by the FDA. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to jump through those hoops, the candesartan hoop, before we can go to one of our migraine yeah. drugs. And I like candesartan. I mean, I'm yeah. glad I have it. It's a tool in my toolbox. It's, a, it's something that works for some of my patients. Right. But there's some nonsense there. Right. 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 Um, and I think that people, something that is listed in this statement is that now we do have a definition, uh, where, uh, a response in a trial for a drug for migraine is 50% reduction in your migraine days per month. Right. And they list that. And I think that's something important to remember, because if you are one of those people in the doctor's office, who's sitting there and they're, they're really asking you and you're like, I don't know, maybe I feel slightly better, but I don't really think so. Um, If you have to try that hard, you probably don't feel better. So so 50% reduction in your migraine days is is our goal here with one of these these medicines. And and the National Headache Foundation has that in the statement. And I think that's really important. And you also want to make sure you're tolerating it, that the side effects aren't so bad that you can't handle it. Um, That's also very important um, because we don't want uh, an insurance company forcing you to be on a medicine that that you can't tolerate or that isn't working for you. So, And the other ridiculous things, as a clinician, I'll raise my hand, Mm -hmm. is when I submit this data to insurers to get something approved, they'll go, well, did she try it or did the person try it in the last six months? And I'm like, well, that's not the way antidepressants work. That's not, you know, we've tried and, you know, this is 2022, you know, what happened in 2018 is still important. They should have to go back to 2018. It's a delay, delay tactic. And in that delay, delay tactic, patients are suffering. Exactly. Um, 
So what sort of guidance is given in the statement for prescribing acute medication? Um, so again, they're going to circle around to one triptan. Right. And, but not a bunch of triptans. Okay. Um, and then uh, to progress on, you know, from there. Okay. From there to some of the newer medicines, G-Pans or Ditan or something right. like that. And I'm absolutely sure that some of my patients will, con- a lot of my patients will continue to use triptans because they have different right. attributes than the G-Pans. They have different attribu- attributes than, say, some form a muscle relaxer or, you know, whatever else you're using or non-steroidal. Um, but they should be able to, again, uh, uh, utilize these newer drugs. And there are some insurers that won't allow you to have a G-pant if you're on a triptan. Well, that makes no sense. We need tools in our toolbox. Exactly. Yes. You know, my preneurs are very intelligent. Like this is a fast, bad headache. I might need my triptan for that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of my ones that kind of grows and uh, I've had great success with my G-Pan for that. Yes. And again, driven by efficacy and side effect profile, yes. right? Yes. I'm so like glad to hear sense. you that. It's common sense. It's common sense. Yes. <laughs> yes. I have very low blood pressure. Please do not give me any more blood pressure medications. Right. Yes, exactly. this is absolute exactly. common sense. Um and so how would you, do you have anything else you'd like to say, any sort of summary uh, of this statement uh, I, for everyone today? Well, I think it's important. The summary of the statement is where we as clinicians uh, and as the NHF working very, very closely with patient advocacy really feel it's in our, it's in our backyard that we have to really go to town and try to make the, these points clear to insurers and hopefully generate a discussion so our patients aren't left um, wondering if they're going to be able to get their medications, mm-hmm. which is also not good for someone. Right, right. Wonderful points. Um, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thank you for telling us uh, about this statement. We all need to know about it. And thank you everyone for joining us this week on Heads Up the weekly webcast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation. Mm-hmm.